Companies looking for ways to expose the presence of forced labor in their supply chains now have some valuable tools to aid them in that effort. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Last episode, we spoke to Killian Moot of Know the Chain at Humanity United about strategies for ending forced labor and human slavery in global supply chains. Now we pick up the discussion with Pierre-Francois Thaler, co-founder and CEO of Vadis, who returns to the podcast to talk about new benchmarking efforts and a growing body of regulation in this area. In addition to a series of reports due from Know the Chain, we have the new Corporate Human Rights Benchmark an even more detailed study that will provide a rating system and release scores for selected companies assessing the presence of forced labor in their supply chains. On top of that, there's the Trade Facilitation and Trade Enforcement Act of 2015, signed into law by President Obama earlier this year. Along with streamlining some customs procedures, it tightens up restrictions on imports that were produced with forced labor. Thaler will also share some tips on how companies can be proactive about assessing, measuring, and eliminating forced labor. Governments are cracking down, and companies need to act. So here is my conversation with Pierre-Francois Thaler. Pierre-Francois Taylor, welcome to the program. Good morning, Bob. I'm glad to be with you today. I should say welcome back. You were with us toward the latter part of last year talking about the issues of uh, forced labor and, and human slavery in the supply chain, and now you're back to kind of catch up with us on what's been going on since. And I guess that would be my first question is what has been going on? What's new since we last spoke in this area? Well, what's new? The, well, a couple of things we've seen. Uh, well, quite recently, a couple of weeks ago, a new, uh, you know, regulation being enacted by the, uh, in the U.S. government, the uh, Trade Facilitation and uh, Enforcement Act. You know, where the U.S. government government is um, giving a list or indicating a list of potential, uh, you know, 400 goods which should be uh, blacklisted for uh, being potentially involved in uh, enforced labor, and uh, and this new regulation creates a lot of. Uh, Uncertainties and uh, worries on the number of uh, global corporations and the way it could be uh, it would be enforced. But uh, that's one one new piece of the puzzle of all those regulations being put in place all over the world in order to address this uh, major problem. So again, we have a new regulation in the United States, as you say, on this topic. It sounds like this is more. Th- th- you said that products would be blacklisted. Did you, if it was found that human Slavery was found in the supply chain. Again, what is the exact nature of that regulation in terms of actions that would be taken against companies? 
what the, the exact enforcement uh, mechanism are not yet uh, not yet known. What, what the what the government has published is a list of uh, you know a list of goods and countries, you know, indicating that you know if you source from uh, if you source from bricks from Afghanistan, uh, you know, child labor is a strong potentiality. If you source uh, coffee from Mexico, uh, you know, child labor being involved as well, and, and so this matrix of countries and uh, and products is giving indication on where there could be a potential forced labor content and, and, and where goods could be stopped at the borders. Uh, now we don't know what the way it would be implemented, even if there was first uh, first case, I think, a couple of weeks ago. But it's it's very broad matrix of goods and, uh, and countries. But see, up to now, uh, a lot of these rules have been basically disclosure requirements, that the company is required to disclose the presence of forced labor in the supply chain, and there are no actions that would necessarily be taken against the company if it is revealed that that is part of their supply chain. It's merely to require them to disclose. Does this regulation take it a step further and actually impose some kind of penalty or control on a company that is found to have forced labor in its supply chain? Yeah, this regulation in taking is taking it a step beyond in the sense it's giving a precise list of goods and countries. Before, it was more general requirements for either transparency with the California Transparency Act or broader due diligence. You know, another development where the 26th of March, a new regulation has been enacted in France uh, called Devoir de Vigilance. And uh, it's, not only about, uh, it's not only about reporting. It's about if companies don't implement the right due diligence and problems happen, they can be sued and uh, you know, fines up to 10 million, uh, 10 million euros, I think. So it's, it's more than reporting. Well, what's different with the, uh, with the US one is that a precise list of goods and countries is indicated. I want to talk about the the corporate human rights benchmark and the various rating systems that are out there. I don't know if that's the same thing as what we're just talking about or is this a separate initiative. Tell me about the rating systems that are in development or have just been put into place that will help us to ass- help companies to assess whether in fact they do have the there is a presence of of forced labor in their supply chains. So yes, we, we see new human rights benchmarks being published uh, in the last weeks. One was called uh, the Corporate Human Rights Benchmark. The other one is the initiative of uh, Know the Chain. And I think you've been interviewing uh, our friends of Humanity United a couple of, uh, couple of days ago. Um, th- those two tools are helping companies benchmark what they do and are making public what companies are doing. They are not tools which are going to help companies to enforce diligence and supervision by say. You know, they are, they are not tools which are going to provide information on what happens in their supervision. It's more part of the effort to create transparency and part of the effort to create shame or reward you know, companies who are more advanced. It's, you know, it's a benchmark of the practices of companies, not of what is happening in their supply chain. And what comes out of those benchmarks? What is the value of having them? Do they create a series of best practices for companies to follow? Have they given us some actual concrete guidelines on how to proceed with eliminating or identifying the presence of forced labor in supply chains? I think the benchmarks have two objectives. The first objective is public information, allowing consumers to access you know, results of those, those benchmarks and being, being able to say if company A is more advanced or you know, can, can report being more advanced than company B. The other objective of such a benchmark would be, yes, for the, for the company who's using them to define and you know, to identify you know, weakness in their management systems and see if they need to you know, invest more in certain, uh, certain areas. 
and they also they're also different in the you know in nature. The another chain one they've done something very simple. I think they want to emulate what um, Oxfam is doing with behind the brand, which has been a very successful, very simple rating, you know, available on the website for consumers. The the other one is pretty complex. It's uh, I think the methodology document only is 180 pages, so it's not for the faint of art. Um, but it's it's helping you know it's helping companies get recognition for doing the good things and it's helping companies identify you know whether some of their competitors are more advanced on certain due diligence uh, practices. Are you in any way surprised by what has been revealed in these uh, in this research so far? What we now understand to be the case of the presence of forced labor or human slavery in the supply chain? Any surprises? Any things that you, you didn't expect to see? I think we've not seen the results of the benchmark yet. They're, they're quite new. Uh, I would not be surprised that the average score, the average performance of you know companies who are undertaking those benchmarks are quite low. Because even the largest firms, you know, they are just at the beginning of setting up robust processes to you know audit all of their suppliers. And and, and indeed, yes, you, you you have occurrence of forced labor in the supply chain, even if it's not at tier one. It, it can happen at tier two, at tier three, you know, in the lower tiers of the of their supply chain. How serious do you assess the problem at this point, and how widespread is the presence, in your opinion, of forced labor or human slavery in the supply chain? It's a major problem, which is being more visible now because supply chains are more interconnected, and because the you know the consumers and the public have you know access to information they didn't have ten years ago or five years ago, and 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 now every you know, occurrence of a forced labor problem, uh, even if it's happening with a superior five tiers or three tiers down, um, those major brands can be reported by NGOs or can be reported on social media. So it, it's a problem which has occurred with, you know, for, for a long time, but which is now under scrutiny of both regulators and, uh, and consumers. So it, it's much more visible now. In your opinion, how cooperative and how proactive do you feel that business has been in responding to this problem? It's a good question. I think businesses in the in the U.S. are getting uh, very nervous about the legal implications of disclosure. They see the pressure, they see expectations of consumers, but they also see the challenge of disclosing and reporting because, of course, if they disclose some of the good practices they have, and a problem occurs a couple of months later, they could be even more in the in the spotlight. So. Companies are, I think, are taking the, the, the problem seriously. They are afraid of the regulations and they are afraid of the possible, uh, you know, legal implications of disclosures in this uh, in this area. Let's talk then about solutions. What has emerged so far? I know you're saying that we're still in the early uh, phases of the benchmarking effort, but based on what you've seen and companies that you've talked to and examples of best practices that you've seen out there so far. Give me some tips on, first of all, how a company can be proactive in terms of preventing the very use of forced labor in its supply chain in the first place. Companies need to do a couple of things. The, the, the first one is mapping the risk. The U.S. regulation can help with that by pointing at specific countries and specific commodities, but every company is unique, and the first thing they need to do is crowd their entire supply chain of different uh, products and services that they, they produce is identifying what are the hotspots and where, where they will need to have an increased focus. The second step will be assessing superior performance. And it could be audits, it could be collaborative platforms such as Ecovedis, but the, there is a big you know, assessment, data collection, uh, understanding practices. 
And the third part is around remediation and around implementing a capability of superior capacity development programs, you know, helping suppliers fix the problem or fix the problem with their own subcontractors. What are the challenges, though, as you get further and further up the supply chain to multiple tiers? I'm sure that it's rel- relatively straightforward in terms of addressing your tier one and maybe even your tier two suppliers. But when you get way back into the raw materials phase of a product, how good a job are companies doing right now in achieving visibility of that portion of the supply chain? And what can they do in order to achieve better visibility? The problem is compounded or becomes exponentially complex as you go down the tier of supply chain. First, because the maturity of the companies you will work with is lower in this area. Second, because of the you know, sheer magnitude of uh, you know, participants and uh, you know, companies you have to, uh, to involve in. The two solutions or two ways to approach it is one, leveraging uh, you know, information technologies, lever- leveraging new data platforms and new systems to you know, create transparency and all to manage all this, uh, all this data. And, and the second one will be on, the, on collaboration. So we see more and more sector initiatives, EICC and the electronics together for sustainability in the chemical space, rail responsible for railways where companies agree to compete with their, to, sorry, to cooperate with their peers or with their competitors in order to uh, solve the problem in their situation. Yeah, you referenced the EICC, which has developed, I believe, a program to identify the presence of conflict minerals at the smelter level. I'm wondering if there are similar groups for other types of products like apparel, which can handle like the equivalent of that in the apparel industry might be the mill that's taking in raw cotton from various places. Are there other groups, other industry groups that can be of value to companies in this effort then? Yes. So in the apparel sector, you will have the SEC, you know, Sustainable Apparel Coalition, which is doing things very similar to the uh, EACC for electronics. Ecovedis will support the global e-sustainability initiative for telecom together for sustainability for the chemical industry, which are sector collaborative initiatives aiming to the same, uh, same objective, you know, collaborating with companies in the same sector to drive change in the lower tiers of the supply chain, which no company, even a $40 billion billion company, is able to do on its own. Once you have addressed the issue initially in terms of securing suppliers that you believe are not practicing forced labor in their supply chains and you've got it all, it looks all good to you, you then need to continue to monitor on a regular basis that that continues to be the case. And I'm wondering what is your advice on how companies can follow up uh, should they be relying on independent third-party watch groups in order to keep tabs? Should they be doing it themselves? Should they be placing the responsibility on the shoulder of their suppliers? Should they be going through industry groups? What is the best way to make sure that monitoring on an ongoing basis that s- slavery is, or whatever doesn't emerge at a later date? You're right. M- monitoring is much more difficult than the initial qualifications. The companies are quite good sometimes or often at doing the initial qualification of new vendors. But uh, the ongoing monitoring is something which is really difficult. And for this, yes, leveraging the platforms, one of the things Ecovadis is doing is we are doing real-time monitoring of, I think, 1,000 uh, NGOs now and specialized data providers in the countries who are providing like real-time information on some of the violations occurring. So this type of tool and leveraging information coming directly from NGOs, for example, is a way to to provide a constant feed of information. The other thing they need to do is also work on their own procurement practices. 
So if they are not providing incentives for suppliers to improve, if they are not rewarding suppliers who are really engaging into this system, will uh, will not create business benefits for the participants, and they will have low incentive to address the problems. You mentioned 1,000 NGOs, or however many there are out there addressing this subject. Sometimes I wonder if there are too many that they are too splintered, that it's difficult for them to cooperate and might be more valuable if they were to consolidate and cooperate better. Is it the case that sometimes too many organizations can make it more difficult to assess this problem and and address it? The 1,000 we incorporate into our ratings are actually the most credible sources of the largest NGOs. If you were to go to look at the number of environmental NGOs in China, you have thousands and thousands now. So... So of course you need to you know you need to consolidate and you need to look at NGOs which are the most uh, you know credible in what they report and with the most resources on the ground to collect information. You know inevitably we we've certainly seen this in the case of workers' rights in in factories that may not even be human slavery but they might be poor working conditions despite the presence of sp- supplier codes of conduct and promises by companies that they're not going to engage in these practices. Ultimately, something ends up happening. Something slips by uh, way up the supply chain, and it is revealed, say, that indeed a portion of a supply chain is, in fact, relying on forced labor. What then should a company do? Maybe this is more of a public relations uh, question. I don't know. But how should companies respond when such practices suddenly are revealed within their supply chains? I think they need to be prepared, and they need they need to uh, they need to be able to demonstrate what has been implemented and the due diligence efforts which have been done, and recognizing that no system can be perfect, even the the size of the of the topic or the size of the issue. And and the other point you are alluding to is indeed if you want to address forced labor in the supply chain, we shouldn't look at this topic in isolation. You know, topics like fair labor, fair wages for workers or working hours and, you know, which are leading to improvement of working conditions in general are also a very important part of the equation if you want to address um, you know, more specific forced labor problems. It has been said that the real punishment that companies could suffer if it is found that they are relying in any way on forced labor in their supply chains, in addition to or short or, or not just in terms of regulatory punishment, but the impact on their brand and their reputation. But that leads to the ultimate question, and I'm wondering how you feel about this. Does the public at this point care? Is there enough of a high public profile and visibility of this issue in the public at large to make that a threat to a company that does not exercise due diligence in its supply chain? The awareness of consumers is rising. You know, a number of studies have shown that millennials, for example, or young consumers, they are more and more concerned about what's in the product and not only the physical components of the product, but uh, you know what's behind the product in terms of social impact. So yes, this this topic is you know raising in uh, in importance as the information becomes more and more uh, available. Now it's the, the company needs to focus their efforts and then to you know address issues which are really um, the most important ones because they won't be able to solve all of this in even in a number of years. Do you believe that we will see even tougher regulations down the line, whether in the U.S. or elsewhere? When we look at all the data points of all these regulations which have been enacted in the past month um, or let's say the past two years, yes, we will, we will see convert or we'll see stronger one or we'll see convergence of regulations. You know, they are they are quite different now in the way they are enacted. You know, in the U.S. in 
the discussions in Germany, the room was implemented in France or in UK, and uh, as companies are sourcing globally, I think what we will see is convergence in the regulations, hopefully towards something which is both stringent but manageable for for companies, where ultimately large corporations are being held responsible for what happens in their standard operations, including supply chain, and, and not only on forced labor, but in sustainability issues, environmental, uh, environmental issues, or corruption issues. Well, Pierre-Francois Thaler of Ecovadis, I want to thank you so much for rejoining us to bringing us up to date on progress being made in this very, very critical area of eliminating forced labor and human slavery from global supply chains. And I hope we can check back in with you in a few months to see how some of these new rating systems have taken hold and what impact they might have in future. But in the meantime, thank you so much once again for being with us. And thanks a lot, Bob, to keep bringing the importance of this topic to your audience. Thank you very much. That was my conversation with Pierre-Francois Thaler of Ecovadis, talking about how companies can act to eliminate the practice of forced labor in their supply chains. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.